Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that you can build products your customers love and we can do a better job of that by what we're learning. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM experience. This is really the fastest way for product VPs to get everyone contributing to product creation on the same page, learning processes and tools, concepts that increase their performance. It's ideal for newly formed teams or for teams that are growing or went through some significant change. And it's really unlike other training that you may have had. It's more of an experience bringing people together and working better together. To find out more about this and if it could be a fit for you, simply go to productmasterynow.com RPM. Now, today we're talking about the need for product leaders to manage stakeholders and the associated challenges that creates. Aligning the perspective of different stakeholders on our product project, it's really desirable and also difficult. Helping us with this very important topic is Bruce McCarthy. Previously, Bruce joined us for a three-part series on creating and using product roadmaps, and you'll find the link to that in the show notes to this episode as well. He is the co-author of the book, Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty. He's currently working on a new book project co-authoring Aligned Stakeholder Management for Product Leaders. He's also the co-founder of Product Culture, and one of his customers said about Bruce, coach, trusted advisor, organizational therapist. Like me, you'll probably hire Bruce because of his experience in product management or his skills as an agile coach. And that's just one of many great customer quotes that people have contributed about Bruce's work. I think that's a pretty good one. Listeners, as always, if you want to find a written summary of anything we talk about, including a one-page action guide that we put together to help you put into action the key takeaways that Bruce is going to share. And by the way, the reason why we created this one-page action guide, we've been doing it now for over 100 episodes, is because I found organizations sometimes are doing these lunch and learn, like they'll get the product managers together, the product team together and say, hey, I listened to this episode, really relevant for us. I think we should get together and talk about it. This is a great way to just help you facilitate that discussion. So take advantage of that if that fits for you. You'll find the written summary and that one-page action guide at productmasterynow.com slash 414. Bruce, thanks so much for being back with us. Oh, it's great to be here, Chad. It's good to see you again. Likewise, I'm really excited about this. We're going to talk about stakeholder management, but I'd be curious to get into something else with you just for a moment. Sure. I think this is your second book project, right? Third, actually. I wrote a short book for O'Reilly that's only available on their online service, Safari. It's on the difference between product and project management. Excellent. Okay, so on to your third book project. So you have some experience with this. I have a little bit, and at least the way I think about book projects is they're a huge challenge. It's hard for me to set aside the time. It's hard for me to get in the right mindset. It's hard to get into that flow. I'm just curious about the process for you and what that is. You're right. It's a huge challenge and it's hard. There's a huge amount of discipline that you need to apply to it. In a way, though, at least the way I've approached it is to do it like you're doing this podcast, is to break it down into small pieces and schedule working on those pieces in advance. So I have a date with myself every Tuesday night. I go out to a local brew pub that has low alcohol beers, and I have three hours of just sitting at at the bar and there's nothing else I'm supposed to be doing. And it's very easy to concentrate and not be distracted. There's a little bit of buzz in the atmosphere, but not too much noise because I go on a Tuesday. If I went on a Friday, it would be too loud. And uh, that regular schedule is what's making it possible to make a predictable amount of progress. And in fact, based on the progress in writing two chapters so far, we readjusted our schedule 
in a very agile fashion with the publisher, O'Reilly, we said, okay, based on our velocity, we can now better predict when we'll be done. And so let's adjust the uh, schedule accordingly. Fantastic. So you're setting aside dedicated time. It's an environment that you actually feel productive in and gets you in that mindset. And so those are really good tips. There's one other thing. Yeah. And that is to create some external lines you're responsible to. So I have a co-author in part that we keep each other honest and I have a schedule with O'Reilly, although as you will note, I was able to reset that. What I was not able to reset though, was that I agreed to run a five workshop series with a client on the topics of the book before I had written the book. And so it forced me to meet those deadlines by producing the material. All right, what are the basic concepts? How do I explain them? What are the examples? And what are the exercises we're going to do? And all of those made it even some of them, I wrote the chapter of the book first and did the exercises after for the workshop. And some of it was the other way around. Some of it, I have now done five workshops and there's a bunch of material that has not yet been turned into book chapters. Fantastic. So you're putting it into use first with organizations. Yeah, which is helpful because you get to test how well are you explaining this concept? How well does this example land? Good. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. I just wanted the perspective a little bit. I have yet to find a book author that says, I absolutely love it. I get energized, right? Most regard it as work, rewarding in the end, but it's, it's work. There's one other thing that I'm doing. And so a small commercial for that is I have an early readers club for people who are interested in the topic and want to follow along as we write the book and get early access to the material in draft form as we're producing it. And so we've already released two and a half chapters to the club and tried out a few different concepts for how to illustrate examples. And we meet once a month to review that stuff and get people's feedback and also to get their stories, which might make it into the book in the end. And that also forces us to stay on schedule and produce new mm-hmm. material for the group. That's awesome. Okay. So since you, you shared that, I assume that it's, is it still open to people to join? Yeah, absolutely. We it, The book doesn't come out until next year. We've got a lot of writing yet to do. You can go to my website, productculture.com, and uh, Aligned Book Club is one of the menu items. And look for Aligned Book Club. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for giving us the background, too. I, there might be some people listening that have been interested in writing, and I appreciate the tips. Okay, let's dive into the core topic here, which is this. You did a past series with us on roadmaps, and I think of you as, you know, first really changing the product culture in Boston so much, and that now in many other organizations. But you are also, in my mind, the roadmap guy because you contributed to this roadmap book. And I can see how that would move into stakeholder management because we use roadmaps to try to align people and different kinds of roadmaps to align maybe different levels of the organization. Share that journey a little bit about how you found the need to move to focus on stakeholder management. I had it in the back of my head for a while, but the thing that was a real trigger for covering it was a workshop that I was running on road mapping with a bunch of students. So when we wrote the book, we knew that just producing a roadmap, the artifact, was not the goal, really. The goal was alignment of the team. Everybody is on the same page that roadmap page and heading in the same direction. So we actually, there's a chapter in Product Roadmaps Relaunched on getting alignment in your organization. And in it, we discuss some tips for using your roadmap to gain alignment or to gain alignment on the roadmap once you have it and to keep it. And as part of this workshop, I was covering that material 
briefly, super briefly, because there's a whole lot to the practice that we that we had already covered and we were running short on time. And somebody said, I really love the way you describe how roadmaps should be done, but it's very different to how my company does them today. How do I get how do I get my company to change, to go along with this method? And so I started talking to that chapter of how, how to gain alignment. And the person stopped me and said, I really enjoyed the workshop on roadmaps, but this is the, ro- the workshop that we need. This is the stuff that nobody teaches. This is the stuff that allows you to take any framework, any bunch of data, any existing team and bring it together, glue it together, the, those soft skills. And so I came to the realization that, A, this person was right, that it's the hidden skill of being able to influence without necessarily having the authority to tell people what to do, that is the real difference between a a product manager that would seem on paper to tick all the boxes and one that's really going to be successful in their career and with their with their products. It's that those leadership and influencing skills that I think is the hardest stuff that nobody really teaches. So that that's where it was, the idea was born. And I think that influence extends throughout your career as your responsibilities grow. You may have some true authority over if you're a product leader, over the product managers that you're responsible for. But still, having influence is more powerful, more motivational than using true authority, authority to hire and fire. First of all, it's more effective. Yeah. And second of all, it's necessary if you're a product manager. Just think about your... Uh, whether, no matter what level of the hierarchy in, but especially if you're an individual contributor product manager, nobody reports to you. You cannot issue orders, period. So you have to influence people. You have to not say, this is where we're going, but convince people, this is where we should be going. Yep. So that's the job. This is, this is why it's important. This is what success looks like. Let's go and get people to say, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. And as you move up, and as a product VP or a CPO, you're influencing the other executives and the executive team, maybe the C-suite team. That's all influence as well and trying to get everyone on the same page. Absolutely. Which leads to a key question I want to ask you about is what really are those challenges that, that leaders are facing in getting other senior leadership in the organization aligned around a product vision, a product direction, or even down to the, why are we choosing to implement that feature over, over the, this feature? Right. I don't un- understand why you made that choice, right? Let's talk about that, that really concrete one, that feature priority or choice okay. one, because it's very relevant to roadmaps. And I think it's very relevant to product people who will be listening to this in general. If there's one job, tactical, executional job that product people almost universally have, it's prioritizing the features or the work in some manner of their team. Now, I, as you know, from our discussions about roadmaps, I prefer prioritizing on your roadmap problems or jobs to be done rather than features. But either way, you've got to, whether it's a problem or a solution to the problem, you've got to have a rank order. You've got to have the team working on this stuff, this thing before that thing. And that's a judgment call that's arguable. Right. You can have a framework. We talk in the book about different prioritization frameworks and so on. But the challenge is not, do I have a framework and am I making good decisions? The challenge is getting people aligned with those decisions so that you're not constantly second guessed or you're not constantly shifting 
priorities. It takes a, a certain amount of time for a team to fully grasp a feature and work through it and complete it and release it and then tweak it to until it reaches the goals that you're trying to reach in the end. And if they get interrupted partway through that process, which happens a lot, then a bunch of the context is lost. And when they get back to it, it's hard to restart. So it's extremely costly to be constantly shifting priorities midstream. So the biggest challenge I see is aligning on that stuff. That The questions though of which features come first, really, if they're shifting a lot or if there's a lot of disagreement on that, what it's revealing is that there is not good alignment on the goals, on not the what, but the why on the, like you said, they, people might say, I don't understand why you're doing this before that. And sometimes there's technical reasons. It's just that one requires the other, technically speaking, or the resources are not available for this other one until next month or stuff like that. But more often, the question is more fundamental. Someone in sales is saying, I think you should be prioritizing stuff that helps me close stuff in the pipeline right now. Someone in marketing thinks you should be prioritizing stuff that answers the competition or gives them a fodder around the latest buzzword, machine learning or something. The CEO is saying, why are we working on all this incremental stuff? Where's the, our next big thing, our next big innovation? Everybody, and the engineers are like, screw that. What about all the tech debt we're accumulating every day? So everybody's got their point of view. And so it's up to us to articulate, not what the list is and in what order, but why. It's up to us to say, here's my vision for the future of this product and why it's so great for the customer and for the company. And given, and here's how we will measure success with dollars and cents for the company. So given those assumptions, now the priority list becomes much easier and to agree on and to you can still argue a little bit, but now you're debating about what's the best solution to the problem because you've agreed on the problem. And agreeing on the problem to begin with is the big challenge, I think. I think I, I don't think that, and I said that's tactical feature, but the strategic part is what are our goals anyway? Who is the customer? How will we win with the customer? What value will the customer receive? If you can define, and what will that mean for the company? If you can define those framing elements you can have a much better conversation with your stakeholders. Yep. I think lots of product, very smart product people, very knowledgeable product people skip past that stuff and just go to, I think we need to do this and this and this without articulating the- It reminds me of the book by Simon Sinek, the, the right. why, the, what, what is actually important here, what is different for us for doing this. Martin Luther King, he uses the, Martin Luther King a lot as an example in that book. And he says, King had a dream. He didn't have a plan. Other people had the plan. He had a, a team of people that worked with him who were good at organizing and at public relations. He was good at articulating the dream. Yep, absolutely. It gets people on board, something that you want to be a part of. It's a vision that matters. And products are that way too. If we're creating, most of us got into product because we're, we find some energy and satisfaction and even happiness out of creating value for customers yeah. and seeing that value return to the organization. It's a beautiful model of creating something new in the world that people care about. And yeah. As you were talking about that, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what can we do as product leaders to create that stakeholder alignment, setting the visions, having a clear understanding of what the product is about, how it 
what we're doing for the customer, how that helps the organization. Even one thing that popped in my mind as you're talking about it was the customer. So I've been in a setting where I've had two product VPs. We're talking for 30 minutes about the customer. And only after 30 minutes do we go, you guys are talking about the same customer. What are you talking about? I don't think you're talking about the same customer. Yeah. And we dig into it and they're actually talking about two very different segments. Mm-hmm. And they were using very much the same language for most of the time. Didn't realize it at all. And obviously you might have different priorities about what needs to get done yep. based on your understanding of the customer. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes and it will change how you think about the work you do and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com love and get the recommendations ways that we can make this a little more practical for product leaders about creating the stakeholder alignment, maybe some issues that pop up. Are we talking about the same customer? Do we understand what they really care about? I think that's a really good example where people, it's like that cartoon where everybody says they agree. And then there's a thought bubble above everyone's head with a different shape in it. It's really easy to think you agree and uh, you're using the same words and turn out to be wrong or think you are not agreeing when you're using different words to mean the same thing. So I think it's really helpful actually to think about the people inside your company, the important ones, the stakeholders, as a type of customer. And I'll tell you why I think of this particular lens. Product managers for decades now have been told you got to get close to the customer, you got to understand the customer, you got to put them in, you put yourself in their shoes, and they've been taught a lot of skills in customer discovery. But then they forget all about that when they're talking to people inside the company. This person isn't a customer. I don't need to ask them about their job. I think that's a mistake. I think if we actually treat them like customers and use the skills that we have developed over time for customer discovery and validation, that it's actually a really good framework for thinking about your stakeholders. So what do we do with customers? Like you said, we segment them first. There's the enterprise customers and the small and mediumers, and there's this vertical and that vertical. Okay, within the company, we have verticals. We have different departments and functions, right? And we have different levels of authority within the company as well. And I also think about, I've developed this thing for the book called the TIPS framework that allows you to classify your stakeholders into four categories. T is for team. It's the people who are actually working on your product 
day to day, full-time or part-time. So people who are actually contributing directly to the product is the team. And then I is those who are impacted by whatever decisions you make. Like maybe you don't think of the customer support people as being on your team, but if you ship a buggy product, they certainly will be impacted. And then the P is for power players. That is people who may not be in the direct line of authority for on the org chart for anybody on your team, but who are just important people within the company whose judgment is considered. Those people can, by speaking the right or the wrong words into the CEO's ear, get your product completely defunded or completely front of mind for the entire executive team. So figure out who those folks are. And then there are the S is for subject expert, people who have knowledge that you need, even if they're not that interested in your product. The legal team, for example, may not care, but you need a click, click wrap agreement. You got to go to them. You need to understand what the implications are of the open source software that you're leveraging in your code base. You go to them for that critical information. So you can map these folks out. You can prioritize them. I suggest making a, a, a canvas, just like a business canvas. And we'll have an example in the book to try to figure out who you should be talking to. And then I suggest you go to them and you do a kind of a customer interview, a customer discovery interview. And think about what we often do when we've got a roadmap or some other sort of plan. We're like, I've got my roadmap. I need your support. Can you sign off on it? We've been told with customers that we should not just go and do a demo and then say, my product is awesome, right? If we want, if we want useful feedback that will result in product market fit, we instead keep the product in our back pocket and start with, tell me about you. Tell me about your business, your job. What does success look like to you? Where are you struggling? What alternatives have you tried? How would you measure success? All of those things so that you can discover their real needs and then think about solutions. In the case of internal stakeholders, you're doing the same thing. What does the marketing team really feel like success looks like? Generating a bunch of leads for sales. Okay. And there's a conference coming up in three months. Oh, okay. I might have a beta version that we could demo by that time. And now I am helping my stakeholder be successful. And if I do that, well, then I have them on board with my plan. That's really good advice. I love how we can take our experience as product people, frame that differently to be more effective with the internal stakeholders, right? On a project. Right. Let's actually understand their needs. And there is the sense, on one hand, that an organization, we expect everyone wants to win, right? The Everyone's together. We all want to win. We want to push forward. But individually, winning has a different context for people, right? And we think mm -hmm. about it differently. And if I'm that manager that's looking for that promotion and what are the things that I need to do that are the right things to move up to that next step, yep. that's going to have me in a different frame of reference. You've just hit on a critical point. So... There are those things that are specific to a person's role or the goals that they have been set that are obvious and easy to talk about with a person. Like, I need to generate a certain number of leads in a quarter for to hit the number that we have set. Or a salesperson, they need to make their number also. Or engineering, maybe we, we need to get our uptime higher or something like that. And all of those are easy to talk about. What's harder to talk about is people's personal needs. And yet we do that with customers too. We, a good enterprise salesperson and a good enterprise product manager finds out 
what the personal interest is of the of the customer in doing business with your company or buying your or using your product. And so it's the same with stakeholders. Like you said, I really want that promotion. And you can I find if I know that about you, then I can try to find a way to position my product that I need your help with as a, something that will make you more visible as a successful contributor to something awesome. And your boss will look at that and say, okay, Chad deserves that promotion. Those internal motivational factors, right? That's just the right. external things, the, what's going on internally too. Really good. I wonder if you ha- have a quick success story you could share with us, maybe even out of one of these workshops you've been doing, an organization you've helped. Can I tell you two stories? I want to tell you, I have, I have a disaster story, okay. a personal one. And then I have a sort of a model success story as well that's totally outside of high tech. So my personal disaster story, which I probably shouldn't even be talking about, that I created a product once. It was my first software product as a product manager, officially minted product manager. And it was called Letter Builder. And it was, this is a thousand years ago, it was an online print shop that would allow you as a marketer to upload your marketing list and then fill in into a web form the copy that you wanted. And then we would, uh, when we had several templates of different letters, different uh, promotional letters with creative creative layouts that you could uh, you could get printed virtually for you through Pitney Bowes. And then, and Pitney Bowes would also mail them out. So it was a virtual print and mail shop. And this was in the 90s. So it was before anything like that existed. And it was a total utter flop. It was, and it was doomed from the start. And I'll tell you why. It was not doomed because the customer didn't care. I think I did a bunch of research about what marketers at the time needed, wanted, and were willing to do. And I think that there was an opportunity for product market fit there. It wasn't that. And it wasn't that the product didn't work. We tested it and ran it through a lot of times and it worked really well. It was that we didn't have product company fit, if I can coin that phrase for a moment. I'll tell you what happened. We were about two weeks from launch of the product and I went to speak to the VP of marketing and I asked her, and I was planning to ask her what the promotional plan was for it. And before I could ask that, she asked me what the promotional plan was. And I spluttered for a minute and came up with a few ideas that maybe the marketing team could do. And then she said, she stopped me and she said, no, you don't understand, Bruce. My team's time and budget is completely allocated to promoting our core product that we've had for years. Your new product sounds great, but I have no budget or time for that. And I stumbled out of there not knowing what I was going to do and went and spoke to the head of, because I had a meeting right after that with the head of sales. And it was the same story. The comp plan was set and we were not going to change it. And so they had no interest in selling the thing whatsoever. And I stumbled from there to lunch with the president and the CEO who were taking me to lunch to celebrate that I was about to ship the product. And the first question was, so what are your expectations for the product? And it was a very quiet lunch. And uncomfortable. Right. So it went absolutely nowhere. I learned a lot. I learned a lot what not to do, or rather what I needed to do that I had neglected to do about getting stakeholder alignment. The success story that I want to tell you about is, I could tell you one of mine, or I could tell you this one that's interesting. I read this book 
about a, a, a guy named Chase Morsey who joined Ford Motor Company right after World War II. He, he, and he was super excited because he was he joined the product planning team and he was super excited because he'd been a Ford driver his whole life and he just loved the Ford V8. Come to join the company, he discovered that they were going to cancel the V8. They were going to discontinue making V8s altogether because the procurement and the finance team had decided they were too expensive and unprofitable. And the executive team had put together a huge amount of, uh, not data exactly, but so it was a bit opinion driven, but had put together a big plan about doing it. And he wanted, he really questioned it. He went to his boss and said, I think this is a huge mistake. People buy the car because of the V8. And so we're, we're throwing away our differentiator. And his boss said, you might be right, but all the executives are aligned on this plan. What are you going to do about it? And so he decided he was going to do something about it. He did the first market research that Ford had ever done with customers to find out why they bought a Ford or a Chevy, which was the main competitor at the time. And he went to the dealers and confirmed with the dealers that the dealers were all felt that the V8 was their only weapon against the equivalent Chevy that a lot of people, because the Ford was slightly more expensive, a lot of people said, if it doesn't have a V8, I might as well just buy a Chevy. And then he went and bought a Chevy and had the, had the team pull it apart and list out all the parts and source them. And they heard that the Chevy V6 was slightly more expensive in parts than the Ford V8. And then he talked to manufacturing and found out that they were working on a plan for more efficient methods of assembly and that they could actually reduce the cost of assembly. And they gradually worked it out that they figured out that they could make a V8 for $50 less per unit than Chevy was making their V6. And so he worked with all these departments, marketing, sales, the dealers, the customers, the finance team, the procurement team, and the manufacturing team. And he synthesized a plan for actually making more money on V8s rather than less. And went to the executive team and there was this huge marathon session where he presented everything and the executives kept questioning him and his assumptions. And every time they did, somebody from another department stood up and said, no, he's right. We did the analysis. And it took all day, but they eventually had to back down and uncancel the V8, which went on to become the motor for the Mustang and the Thunderbird and every Ford that you can think of that's well known. He may possibly not only have saved those cars, but he may have saved the company from, from extinction. And I think that's a really good example of leading a cross-functional team through influence, through saying, guys, this is wrong. Let's figure this out together. Bucking the management and the trend and the consensus along the way. If, if we could do that, if we could all aspire to be like Chase Morsey, I think we'd have a really strong product culture in any given company. It's such a great story. I love knowing about Chase Morsey and how he created alignment with the stakeholders. The book called The Man Who Saved the V8, the Chase Morsey story, I recommend it. Thanks for sharing that. Very good. So we got some information about helping to align stakeholders, really starting with that vision, getting everyone on the same page about who the customer is, the value we're creating for them, the difference that will make to our organization, and the tips framework, which is very helpful to think as product people about how we can treat our internal stakeholders 
stakeholders as customers to understand their needs better. Think about the team, those that are impacted by the decisions they're making, the power players in the organization that may have some influence, whether they're directly in line with the project or not, and then those subject experts that we need information from. So really useful information. As listeners know, and we love innovation quotes around here. Yeah, I thought you might get to that. Yeah, what do you have for us? My favorite quote, I don't know if you'd call this an innovation quote, but it does actually follow on that story that I just told perfectly, which is there's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. who said, a true leader is not a seeker of consensus, but a, or a searcher, I think it was, searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. And I think that's what Chase did. Didn't just poll everybody and say, what do you think? What do you think? He figured out what everyone's interest was. Finance wants to save money. Manufacturing wants to save time, et cetera. And he engaged them in figuring out how we do that so that he could achieve the goal that he thought was the best thing for the company. And that's the thing. We got to get alignment and seek that consensus. Yeah, we can make that happen. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing? You already shared productculture.com. And that's a place that they can become part of the Aligned yeah. Book Club to provide feedback and help guide the book project you're working on. Is that the best place to go to find other resources from you? I think so. There's a couple other things that you might look for if you go to productculture.com. One is I have a weekly nano letter, I call it. It's a super short bite-sized newsletter that's so short that it's quicker to read it than to put it in the read later folder that you never get to. So that's one thing on product culture every week. The second thing is um, I am soft launching right now a an online course for product roadmapping. It's based hmm. on the book, but with updated examples with a Google Slides template for you to fill out. It's got videos and exercises to do. And the whole idea is to be able to put all the concepts from Product Roadmaps Relaunched into practice. Excellent. And so if you go to productculture.com again, there's another link for the Product Culture Academy, of which this is the first course. And I'm forgetting the, the code. I'll look it up for you. But there's a discount code. Good through the end of the year for... Even better. For 40% off. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So I'll put that in the show notes, listeners. If you've read Bruce's book before on product roadmapping, or this is a topic that you want to get good at, that you feel like roadmaps might be the bane of product management challenges with it, Bruce has a really good approach for how you make them work for you and not against you and how you really do use them as a collaboration tool to get everyone on the same page. If you want to dive into this, sounds like a great opportunity to do it for 40% off. We'll have the discount code in the show notes for this episode. Great. Anything else, Bruce? Nope, that's it. Okay, really appreciate you being with us. Thanks for sharing the information. Listeners, remember, you can find the show notes, including that discount link, the one-page action guide to help you too, all at productmasterynow.com slash 414. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.